You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 60, The Lion King. It's SFX. To purchase the soundtrack for any movie that we cover on the podcast, just head on over to rotoscopers.com slash Amazon, and you can search for it there. But for a direct link to this specific soundtrack, head on over to rotoscopers.com slash Lion King soundtrack. Just about everything you could ever want to buy is available at rotoscopers.com slash Amazon. The Animation Addicts podcast is a free service to you. By purchasing items at rotoscopers.com slash Amazon, you not only get the same great deals on products you are already going to buy, but you also help make this podcast available for many episodes to come. We would like to thank everyone who has given us their support over the years and want to continue doing this for many years to come. So from all of us on the Rotoscopers team, sit back, enjoy the antics, and best of all, enjoy the show. Happy listening. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. I am your marvelous host, Mason Smith, and I'm here with Morgan Stradling and Chelsea Robson, my two best buddies in the Rotoscopers world. Hey, pal. Hello there. <laughs> Friend. So yeah, this is the, as I said, the Animation Addicts Podcast. So what we do is we discuss all things animation whether it is film or tv and uh, we talk about the news and we talk about uh, what's relevant to animation on this show specifically the format is is like we're sitting around talking about our favorite uh, animated movies and we talk about the voice actors and we talk about the songs and we talk about all that stuff and so we have a lot of fun and we hope you have if you're a first time listener we hope you have uh, you'll have fun too while we're uh, discussing our animated film for this episode so today we are actually reviewing The Lion King from Walt Disney Animation, uh, year 1994. And we're super excited, or at least I am, because uh, I've been waiting for The Lion King episode for so long, and I know some of our fans have too. Oh, I've, I've been saving up quotes for a year. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be chock full of nostalgia. No kidding. So, 
1994, just an anecdote, that was, I was in first grade, I'm pretty sure. Aw, little baby Mason. <laughs> okay, first grade was not baby, it was six, it, I was six years old. Okay, okay. <laughs> little Kinder Mason. <laughs> little Kinder Mason. Oh, I totally remember. I was in second grade, and this movie was like my movie. And I remember one time specifically when it was coming out on VHS, and we were so excited that it was going to be coming out. And I was talking with this girl next to me, and we were just going back and forth and talking about how I was going to be the very first person in the morning to buy the very first copy. No, I am going to be. And we, you know, <laughs> we went back and forth like this for like a week, <laughs> and, and it came down to it. I just remember... I was mad at my mom because she wouldn't take me to go get it until like two o'clock in the afternoon. And I was like, oh, I can't say that I was the first one. <laughs> uh, it was funny. <laughs> wow. Yeah. No, this is how much this movie, like, I was obsessive over this thing when it came to that. I would say possessive also. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Well, the thing with The Lion King is because right before we'd had three really, really good hits. We'd had Little Mermaid, which we've reviewed, mm -hmm. Beauty and the Beast, which we reviewed on episode one, and Aladdin, which we reviewed. And so I think as children, we were just grown up expecting the newest Disney movie to be epic and awesome and fabulous. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. I and then agree. they started to let us down. Slightly. Not really me. Anything in the 90s when I was a young, when I was a young in was all good and fair game for me. But looking back, I see which are my favorites. Anyways. Yeah. The Lion King is one of those movies I don't remember watching when I was but a Mason kinder or kinder Mason. Sorry. Uh, but I I got a newfound appreciation for it when I started, you know, formally studying animation in school. I think it was like two years ago. I went and saw the 3D re-release of The Lion King uh, during the time I was taking a 2D animation class. And so uh, what we had learned in that class really helped me appreciate the movie and my goodness, I don't deal in absolutes because I'm not a Sith. I'm a Jedi. But Lion King is absolutely my favorite Disney film, uh, animated film. Wow. This is the one. This is my favorite. This is it. Yeah. I hold the Lion King in humble reverence. And awe. Oh, sorry. <laughs> 90 song came to mind. Hey, it's okay. And we've got 90 songs in this movie. Oh, you better believe it. But yeah, the Lion King is one of those movies. Movies I just hold in like deep reverence and awe because the film is exceptionally epic. Like I remember, I can't remember which movie this was, but uh, it was a VHS copy of one of the Disney films. We popped it in, and uh, it was one of those you know things where like Michael Eisner or Jeffrey Katzenberg comes up and is like, "Hello, here at Walt Disney Studios, we are working hard on our next animated classic." <laughs> Jeffrey Katzenberg. <laughs> Yeah, The Lion King, you know, and it showed uh, recording sessions with the guys who play uh, Timon and Pumbaa. It showed storyboards. The Lion. And, uh, the Lion was you Remember the right Lion there. that they bring into the studio and oh, he's just sitting right. there? Oh, that's right. They literally, they literally brought in lions to yeah. the studio. Yeah, <laughs> so they're all sketching him. <laughs> Those were the best preview <laughs> so just trailers Just don't look it ever. in the eyes. I know, because they actually showed off the craftsmanship. Yeah, it's it's sort of like the new Box Trolls trailer, which shows the behind-the-scenes of the making. And, like, I remember when I saw that trailer with my mom when I saw Frozen, she was like, wow. It makes you appreciate everything that goes on behind it, which I think is something unique about animated films opposed to regular films. Yeah. So I really, really liked those trailers back in the day because they 
I mean, out of all the trailers I've seen in my lifetime, those are still the ones that stand out in my head. I can remember the scene by scene, what was going on, and Lion King was one of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, as far as general info go, production dates, it started back June 1992, and it went all the way to March 1994. Not bad. Two years, considering it takes four nowadays. Yeah. And they're busting was, us out. That was just bam. So, well, there were, uh, there were 600 artists who worked on the film. So they have the manpower. Yeah. yeah. It was Disney well, in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so the budget on this was $45 million estimated, and opening weekend domestically gained $40,888,000. It's a lot of money. But <laughs> <laughs> later on, it, domestic sales rose to a record of $311.5 million. And that record has held up until even now. I mean, even though that's debatable still, uh, even with Frozen came, coming out and making a bazooka bucks, I think now that they've added the Frozen like sing-along show, it might win. But yeah. Does the sing-along count as a re-release or an initial release? Yeah, see, I mean, it's all debatable. It was it was marketed as a re-release, even though the film was still in theaters. Right. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> After a long time in the vault, <laughs> Disney's Frozen is coming back. <laughs> right. Two days after it left theater. <laughs> uh, and also, when you factor in the ticket prices and such... From 1994 to, you know, 2014, it's going to be a big difference. So even then, I'm still going to say Lion King is probably biggest. That's just my thought. But, you know, give Frozen another week or so and it'll probably win. Well, um, Lion King worldwide has $987 million total worldwide gross. And right now, Frozen is at $864 million worldwide but it still hasn't been released in china or japan and of course then they just put it oh. sing along and i don't know that's really only a hundred more million dollars to you know two two big markets not that big but you know and and it's i feel i don't know i think frozen will beat it i like to see lion king stay up top because it was so iconic and big for the time that i feel that it should just stay up there as a record that cannot be beaten but then again, Despicable Me 2 is in third place, just $17 million behind Lion King. Thank oh goodness. <laughs> what? And then, of course, there's King Toy Story 3, which is the only animated movie to gross over a billion dollars. Anyways. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, man. So this film, this film was big, but it wasn't always like that. Let me wind the clocks back for you. Um, the story actually went through multiple renditions and uh you know revisions um they brought on uh, well at, at the same time animators at disney were working on pocahontas um and there were a lot of folks at disney who thought that pocahontas was going to be more successful uh than this film which uh, don Hahn, the producer described as what was it hamlet with lions set to the music of elton john <laughs> it, well if you put it that way it's true to a fault <laughs> And around the studio uh, with the animators, there wasn't a lot of initial desire to animate animals rather than uh, anthropomorphic beings and the likes. And even Brenda Chapman, who was brought on as head of story, thought that the story was weak, unsure of when exactly she made that statement along the progression of the story. And Don Hahn, again, he said it was a gamble. 
Um, they let the teaser trailer out, which was only the opening sequence during the song, The Circle of Life. And audiences reacted positively that it um, so positively that it made a turnaround, basically, and focuses, I guess, shift to the, to the Lion King. Uh, like I said, over 600 artists worked on the film. And the rest, as they say, is history. Oh, yeah. And uh, speaking of story, this was uh, the first... Uh, full-length Disney animated feature that is an original story, <laughs> you know. So up until kind then, of. I wonder if. Well, kind. What do you mean, kind of? Okay, Fantasia. Well, isn't this based on count. Hamlet loosely? Aha! I. Um, I mean, it's inspired by or has influences, but I, it's not a direct Hamlet, right? Not. No. It, yeah, it was. In- yeah. Okay, in the book Disney War, it does go into this, and it talks about how, I can't remember whether it was Jeffrey Kapsenberg or Michael Eisner, but one of them, in the story sessions, they were having trouble with the story, and they were trying to figure out, okay, you know, how should we go? But then, as time went on, one of them, I don't remember which one, but one of them said, I think it was Eisner, uh, that it was basically a Hamlet film. And so, they're like, oh, okay. And so, it wasn't so much a copy of Hamlet, but... I guess you could say they, they took the flow of Hamlet, of just how things kind of came into into play. Mm-hmm. Well, since okay, since since you got that out of the book, then then that's fine. Um, I'm still not. I don't know. I agree with Morgan. There are definitely elements of the story that resemble Hamlet. For example, the uncle killing the king and ascending to the throne, and then uh, the main character kind of being an outcast. And maybe Simba was a tragic hero in earlier versions of the story. I don't know. But I, I don't know. I have to disagree with people who say that it is basically Hamlet um, in the story. And I don't think you're saying that, Chelsea. I I, I guess it was influenced by, by Hamlet. But I, I don't know. If you look into stuff at like uh, Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey, and did he do Hero with a Thousand Faces? Yeah. Yeah, so he did those books, which are, I guess, studies on the typical like hero story arc throughout storytelling history. One of the most obvious examples being Luke Skywalker. It's very similar to that. And so to me, they were just taking stuff from, you know, from those old story archetypes. But then again, maybe Hamlet is takes from those old story archetypes. So I don't know. Speaking of the hero's journey and any of the works of Joseph Campbell, you can actually listen to those books through Audible by going to rotoscopers.com slash Audible. And there you can get one free audiobook. I will stop the plug now. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Thank you for, <laughs> thank you for saying that. Hey, I heard you talking about books, so they said, hey, those are on Audible. I like Audible. Our listeners are interested in what Mason is saying. They want to listen to these books. So they do. let's plug Audible, right? <laughs> You're absolutely right. So whether you believe it or not, the whole, um, the whole Hamlet argument uh me personally i think it was influenced by hamlet but definitely not a copy of hamlet if you're listening right now and you disagree then then let us know but uh whatever you believe about the influence the film has a very strong solid story without being obvious about it which is what i like about this film we start with this breathtaking exposition we go right into the conflict uh you know with scar you see i i will never be king um and then people's motives are explained clearly but in an entertaining way it follows your basic three-act structure. And I also noticed watching this time around that it seems like the three acts of the film are separated by day and night uh, cycles. Tell me more. Interesting. Yeah. Kind Elaborate. Of. Well, it starts with, you know, the sun coming up 
And then I guess you could say the end of the first act is when Simba runs away and never returns. Mm-hmm. And though it's not exactly nighttime when he runs away, like the mood of the film turns into a dark night-like thing. And then the next scene we see is, no, 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 it does start. It does end with a night sequence because that's when Scar ascends to the throne and announces the glorious age of hyenas. And so uh, act two, I guess, would be Simba waking up in the desert until he is reunited with the spirit of Mufasa, which happens at night. And then everything after that is kind of it ends in the day and ends at night. So I don't know if that was intentional or not, or if I'm just being crazy. But I think behind the scenes, this story is very organized, but it's it, they don't make it super obvious to where you're just rolling your eyes the whole time. I really did like the the artwork and how they were able to throw in the different color schemes when it came to night and day. So I like the idea of there being a little bit more of a, of a mood enhancement or even cycle with like what you said with day and night in there. I'll go with it. (laughs) Yeah. And how about that opening sequence, Mm -hmm. Mm y'all? You know, the score and everything was done by Hans Zimmer, which was totally to be expected. And then also, the music was done by Elton John and Tim Rice. And honestly, I, I always was, I grew up listening to oldies, and I just thought it was really bizarre that the guy who did Crocodile Rock wrote all of these songs. <laughs> hey, you know. Um, but then nobody knows, animals. I know. <laughs> but then later on, the team, they went on to write the Broadway hit Aida. So they became fast friends in this little process. Yeah, definitely. And I love that Hans Zimmer does does the score. He's, I mean, he's got the whole epic soundtrack thing down. But I also like, um, I also just like how kind of diverse sounding and like cool all the music is. You know, um, they really did their homework. And then, um, you know, the Circle of Life, which is the opening sequence, is just breathtaking. In uh, my opinion, it's the best intro to a Disney animated film. Well, this the this intro was one of the trailers. Don't you remember? Yeah, yeah. It, it was. This was during the time where Disney liked to kind of showcase one of their feature songs as the trailers um, in theaters. And I remember just seeing Circle of Life, and then it at the very end it goes boom, just black, and then it gives you the logo. And I'm yeah, like Mason was saying, talk about an incredible animated sequence in in history, but talk about an even better uh, animation trailer. I mean, that alone makes you excited and interested to see what's up, what's this movie about. I like it. It sounds good. It looks good. It feels good. When is it coming out? Oh, man, yeah. It's an amazingly, like, composed and orchestrated opening sequence. Like, there are no words because you don't need any words. You just simply watch and and figure out for yourself what's going on. And it's, you know, it's it's engaging with, with these brilliant light effects on the animals and all the colors and stuff. Like, you literally feel like you've traveled to Africa mm-hmm. and uh, the animals are more naturalistic. You know, nobody's walking on their hind legs. It's not like Robin hood, <laughs> you know? Um, I love the, uh, the cool camera work with Zazu, a, a literal fly in shot on Mufasa. There's uh, a lot of on... really, there's a lot of yeah. really cool camera angles. I mean, where they're low at the ground and you see the birds walking through the elephant's feet. Um, one of the, the scenes where the ants are walking, on the tree and then it's, it's blurred in the background and then it, the perspective shifts. And then you see the zebras going by um, almost multi-plane in a way in what they do there. But there's just a lot of really artistic choices going on, which, which really add to it. And I like that there's, there's no one singing. We don't know who this person is. 
Um, she's not, you know, like Rafiki's girl or something, uh, another baboon. <laughs> it's not like a monkey sitting on front rock with a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's a, a sing, sing over. Is that a thing? <laughs> Where they're singing over. There's no, there's no actual characters who are participating. And um, yeah, it's, it's good. How did Rafiki get that gig of Master of Ceremonies? That's my question. Well, he's, he's like their religious leader. He's kind of like the head of the society because he has all this wisdom. A shaman, if you will. Yes, thank you. That's the word I couldn't think of. He could, he doesn't have power. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But he has I, kung fu power. He, which we learned, which is hilarious. I love that part. Yeah, I don't know how exactly the baboon priesthood works, but I guess that's the gig he has, and he's, uh, you know, he's pretty cool. Uh, I like the hug he gives Mufasa. But you can't help but love Mufasa. Mufasa's awesome. He really is. Mufasa, you know what I love about Mufasa is because right away you see that he's kind, loving, caring, strong, a good leader. And so they build him up as this just wonderful dad. I mean, you know, even further on we see that he's he's not going to let his son walk all over him. He's still very firm with him. He teaches him lessons. He's a loving dad. He loves his son, which makes the saddest part in any Disney movie ever. Uh, oh, so much oh my worse. Gosh. Oh my gosh. But yeah, um now there were there were several anim- uh, I think each main character was worked on by a separate um artist. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but um it works for a very diverse cast. The animation is just flawless for all these characters. I mean, you watch what the action was happening and these characters are alive, you know. They're animals and they they walk on all fours, you know, and it's it's more naturalistic, but they have such life in them that's um that's amazing, you know. No wonder the uh, the hardcore two D hand drawn animation fanatics, you know, no wonder they believe that this art form is superior to three D because these these artists were so masterful at it. No, yeah, it, this is definitely a difference between two D and three D animation because the two D you were the supervising animator of a character. I mean, that was your job. For example, Young Simba was Mark Hen. Adult Simba was Ruben Aquino. Um, you know, Mufasa you were talking about was Tony Fusile. I mean, they their job was to create this character, and they and their team animated them and made it his personality. And today, not saying that it's bad or worse, it's you do the whole scene as an animator. So you're responsible to understand the nuances and the quirks of all the characters, which, you know, as you spread yourself thin, you, you aren't as good at it, as it as those who specialize. And so what I liked about this is you were able to see the diff- slight differences in animator styles in their characters. Um, just maybe the way that they animated someone's mouth or their mannerisms. But I don't feel that you can get that in, in 3D. And I think there was just a quote by John Lasseter where he was talking about that, how 2D, you kind of focus on the animation because like this, you have different animators doing different characters. But 3D kind of gets rid of that. So you're not focusing focusing on the animation, but you're focusing on the story. Now, I don't know if I agree or disagree with that statement, but yeah, I miss the old days. Yeah, yeah. And um, there are leads who are in charge of a certain character nowadays in the 3D, but Morgan's right. It's not as, I don't know, it's not as much as a make it your own kind of thing. Yeah. You know, you know we always look at the example of like Glenn Keane of, of owning you know, being in charge of Ariel and pretty much owning that character as, yeah. <laughs> as his own and putting his own stamp on it. And you don't see that as much in, in 3D, uh, you know, animation anymore. But I, you know, I don't, I don't think the hierarchy of being a lead 
in charge of a certain character is totally gone, but it is, it is like Morgan said, very different now. Going with that, another notable animator on this film was Andreas Deja, who is known for his villains, and he sort of became typecasted for, you know, he started with King Triton, who wasn't a villain, and then he moved on to Gaston, and then Jafar, and then this, he was, he was Scar, and so that became his thing for a while and for a period that he was just the Disney villain guy. Yeah, and talk about craftsmanship. Um, you know, we, <clears throat> I love, uh, you know, it, it's crazy. I always forget that the very next scene after the triumphant opening sequence is is Scar. We're introduced to him and the main conflict of the film. Let's talk about this guy. He makes an awesome Disney villain, and the animators really put some serious work into this guy. Um, like Morgan said, Andreas Deja was in charge of Scar, and his design is just, it screams bad guy, you know, but it's still appealing and interesting. It also screams weasel in comparison to <laughs> in comparison to Mufasa, you know, he's just this, yeah. The original story of this actually had Scar as an outside lion. So it, he wasn't part of the family or anything like that. And that's one of the reasons why his style was so different. But then later on, they thought it was better to, that's when they decided to make him the brother of Mufasa, um, that's, I think, where the Hamlet influence came in, is when they brought him in, like, oh, let's make him the brother instead, instead of, and that way it can be more of a, you know, crumbling from within. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Well, well, Scar, in retrospect to Mufasa, looks a lot sicklier, darker, uh, more malnourished, um, and so he, it really contrasts the two, you know, and the, the stateliness of Fossa, who's king, and then this, you know, weasel guy, like you say. And then his colors yeah. are significantly different than any of the other characters in Lion and Lionesses out there. That is true. And then you get into the extreme details, and uh, his design, as compared to Mufasa, is very angular, uh, lots of triangle-based uh, body shapes and forms, which is a dead giveaway when you're trying to communicate a villain. And even his body language is, like, snake-like, you know, he slinks around... And he's not as, you know, thick and muscular as Mufasa. Obviously, he got the lion's share of brains, uh, which makes up for his lack of brute strength. But you know what? I don't think it's because they starve him because no one likes him. I think it's just because he's too lazy to go out and hunt. <laughs> yeah. You know? Totally. Well, no, but then the, the adult male lions don't actually do the hunting. It's all the lionesses. Ah, that's I, true. So I Mufasa's it, lazy, too. Well, no, I just think it shows that ha where he stands in regards to the other lions, where Mufasa gets all the food, and maybe Scar, as the outsider who's allowed to stick around, which wouldn't happen in reality, um, kind of gets the leftovers of the pickings. Yeah, okay, okay, that makes sense. And, uh, you know, Scar is a classic portrait of a predatory villain. If you look at his actions through the film, it's very true to life to, like, I'm not trying to say that he was like a child predator, but he did prey on a child. He did intend to harm a child <laughs> in the film. But, you know, I okay, so I, I've, been, I've been reading uh, for class, and um, typical behavior of a child predator will use secrets and guilt to manipulate their victims and so um check. scar does both uh check and check scar does both in uh in the lion king and so he's a very very effective uh effectively designed and effectively executed villain he's definitely the plotter i quiver with fear with fear 
And Feels two nice. thumbs way, way up for the <laughs> <laughs> I know. Okay, so let's talk about, yeah, let's talk about the voice acting. My goodness. James Earl Jones. What more is there to say? <laughs> There's not much more to say at all. Like, uh, if I could have somebody narrate my life as a movie, it would be James Earl Jones. Mm-hmm. It'd be awesome. Yeah. As the old guy from the Sandlot. <laughs> or as Mufasa. I have or as Mufasa. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, well, they cast him because his voice is so deep and booming that it sounded like a lion's roar, which uh, d- a little bit of trivia here. James Earl Jones actually provided all the lion roars himself for Mufasa. Is that a kidding. challenge? Is that a challenge? Temper, temper. He was so good. <laughs> I love it. Um, if you really want to get into the spiritual nitty gritty of this film, that he has kind of like a godlike voice, which really fits, which really fits Mufasa's image in the film. Um, and also appreciate that he doesn't sound too much like Darth Vader in the film, you know? Yes. And then uh, Jeremy Irons uh, was perfect as Scar. Um, very cool. Okay, so Jeremy Irons, you know, he actually was just cast as Alfred in the new Batman Superman movie. Oh, my. Uh, Making a comeback. Is he going to have a song for Batman? Be prepared. <laughs> Please. Dun, do. dun, 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 dun. Batman's like... Yes, my teeth and ambition <laughs> Although I don't think he's going to have the same voice that, that Christian Bale. Anyway. Oh, geez. So, yeah, Alfred. Alfred. Uh, and then, of course, for uh, young Simba, the totally dreamy in the 90s, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Swoon. Ooh. Hashtag swoon. <laughs> Do you, okay, okay, real quick. Do you remember the show All That? How they had um, a show they made fun of... Uh, talk shows and there was one called whatever that was that was being filmed in the girls bathroom and then they would have like cardboard cutouts of jonathan taylor thomas and they would like swoon every time they heard his name i do not recall am i the only person who remembers this <laughs> I know it cable, if it person. was cable it never happened for me <laughs> oh, that's right you didn't have cable yeah morgan and i that's why we understood each other so much because we were the outsiders we were the hyenas without cable <laughs> But you said they were a bunch of stupid, mangy, slimy uh, poachers. <laughs> Can't remember the line. Next day on the woods Also, we had Rowan Atkinson, Mr. Bean. Oh my goodness! Oh really? He was Zazu? Yeah, that's Zazu. Wow, I never knew you that know, until now. <laughs> you know, I thought I didn't think Zazu was annoying in this film. No, Zazu's awesome. He does his job very well. Well, the word on the savannah is that the drafts are in a bit of a spot. Cheetahs never prosper. <laughs> uh, he, he's like a good guy version of Jafar. <laughs> <laughs> I will marry Nala. <laughs> it's a little weird. It's <laughs> so weird. Um, but okay, when they came out with the re-release of this on DVD, I believe, is when they had the morning report song that they mm-hmm. have Shutters. that they have in the Broadway play. You're kidding. There's an extra song with the gophers? Yes. yes. What, is Jim Cummings sing it, sing it in that version? <laughs> I don't I don't know. But it was just, I was so mad because they did it on... It was like, oh, uh, we've a new and improved Lion King. I was like, there's nothing to improve. There was nothing to improve. Get rid of it. I'm cool with an extra scene that you animated for the DVD. That's great. But no. <laughs> this is worse than when Zazu and Iago took over the Tiki Room. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Which I, I which I never witnessed, and I'm glad I that they changed wish, it back to the original. 
Yeah, I actually kind of wish I had witnessed it just so that I could say I had, but I'm glad with the original. Well, it's That's the power of YouTube. You can witness like saying, it. That'd be <laughs> like, true. Yeah, that would be like horrible, like saying I witnessed the Hindenburg or something. But anyway, um, of course, Zazu cannot marry Nala because she is betrothed, intended, affianced. To young Simba, one day you two are going to be married. Best line ever. I can't marry her. She's my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is where Zazu starts going through a lot of abuse. It starts with the pouncing lesson. Pouncing lesson. Oh. <laughs> and Mufasa just like turn around. With yeah, his with his finger. That's really funny. And um, so I I thought I think that just can't wait to be king is um is a really cool song. I like how all the animals change in form. Like they suddenly get really cartoony and then the mm-hmm. colors are just all over the place in this song. You know, yeah. all the animals get really silly. Everybody look left. <laughs> Everybody look right. So why do you think they did that? Why do you think they changed the color scheme? They changed the like actual design of the characters to make them a bit more, you know. It had to go with the crocodile rock. <laughs> That's just how the music goes. And you can't have like, Real animals, lifelike animals, you know, like they had in the beginning opening scene. Like, it's got to be a little bit more fun and just like, it definitely catches your eye more, though, to the change of everything. Yeah, it really wouldn't have conveyed the, like, childlike state of mind of Simba during the song if it was just like, hey, we're back on the savannah and a couple of rhinos are, like, nodding their heads to the beat. You know, it had to be something spectacular for this type of song. And uh, and as I said earlier, I think it kind of reflects Simba's state of mind while he's singing. It's mm-hmm. kind of a reflection on him. So if everything gets more vibrant, everything gets more childlike and a little more lighthearted, you know, than the solemn assembly that was the uh, circle of life. Yeah, definitely tells us what's so great about the waterhole. The waterhole? So great about the waterhole. I'll show you when we get there. Oh, mom, can I go? <laughs> mm, what do you think, Sarabi? <laughs> Wow. I like how Nala, I, sorry, I like how when Sarabi makes Simba take a bath, he's like, no, and she just bites his head and lifts <laughs> him up and puts him down. See, that's going along with a, a little bit of, a, you know, more realism of it's realistic in a way, like that's actually what would happen, but it's still cartoony and it's fun. I really liked how they played off that. But we can we can relate to that because symbolically our moms do the same things when they make us take a bath. I'm sure they wish they could just grab us by the head and throw us in the tub. <laughs> and then uh, cut to the elephant graveyard. Oh, dear. Wow. Said too much. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so what are we going to do about the... How are we going to ditch the dodo? <laughs> and oh, then uh, some really good... Little seeds of romance blossoming in the savannah. Your parents will be thrilled. <laughs> I love it. There's some really good lines in this part, you know, right before the mood gets really dark again, you know. Mm-hmm. I um I love the hyenas. They're like really good henchmen and There's... and women. Oh yeah. But I like the three hyenas because they really complement each other. There's like the two kind of scheming ones who are on the ball, they're pretty ruthless, and then there's of course Ed. <laughs> <laughs> That uh, that was that's Cheech Marine as as Bonsai. I always forget the girl hyena's name. Shenzi. Sh- Shenzi, yeah. Bonsai was Cheech Marine. I guess they were gonna replace uh, Shenzi with like a boy hyena that was gonna be uh, Chong, whatever his name is. <laughs> they were gonna ha- they were gonna reunite Cheech and Chong. Uh, Cheech uh, Marine was available to do the voice of a Bonsai Chong. He had his hands tied. I guess. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
mm-hmm. but yeah, he wasn't available, and so they uh, they stuck with Whoopi Gold. They, so is they it... stuck with Whoopi Goldberg, who is such an angelic actress, you know, who usually plays you know a more benevolent, uh, good character, and now she's kind of a ruthless killer in this film. Do you know what we do to kings who step out of their territory? Or who, what do they say? Who come step, into our kingdom? Step out of their kingdoms. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll just be on our way. I love how Zazu thinks he's getting away, and then just a paw just comes and snatches him out of there. Yeah. I snatched you out of thin air. <laughs> and then all the way to the burly, birdie boiler. Zazu has obviously undergone the birdie boiler before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As his dialogue suggests. Poor guy. And then you oh, get the classic. No! Yeah, and then uh, you get the classic cartoon blast off into space uh, with embers <laughs> trailing from your butt. You know, Zazu's like, looks like Team Rocket's blasting off again. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> That's very Disney. I think that happens a few times. Mm-hmm. And, then it gets, uh, it gets dark. Oh, then the, they start chasing then it the cubs surreal. and they say, boo. Here, kitty, kitty. And then it gets real serious because Simba like slashes at, at Shenzi, you know, and then you hear that like growl, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're starting. To, they're starting to kind of show their more animalistic, like uh, carnivore side. So very well executed. And then Mufasa saves the day. Well, it wasn't exactly like there was a lone scar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I tell you what, I do not want to make Mufasa mad. Mm-mm. I just don't. It's like you don't want to make Optimus Prime mad. You don't want to make Mufasa mad. Yeah. How do you think yeah. uh, Mufasa found out about this? He was just realize that they've been gone that gopher the gopher (laughs) the gopher they know all now i think is after after zazu gets through the birdie boiler he ends up going to find him that's that's what i thought you know that was a lucky shot he barely he birdie boiled all the way back to pride rock this should be like a deleted (laughs) scene there should be like a deleted scene where mufasa is like is like well sarabi uh how's it going you know sitting around and and then <laughs> but then it wouldn't be as it's impactful like, <laughs> when he does pun inten- no pun intended there i'm sure <laughs> that would be the deleted scene i i think uh <laughs> but in all seriousness um this is another uh instance of mufasa just being the best ever because he's he, he was angry because he was afraid that he was going to lose simba and then Reproving betimes with sharpness, he showed an increase of love afterwards. <laughs> um, textbook, if you know what I mean. Father, uh, father, son moment. Hey, you got to read the textbook. Um, and uh, it's such a powerful father son moment that it's almost spiritual. And uh, then you you launch into this amazing dialogue about the great kings of the past. Look down on us from the stars. You know? Yeah, it definitely turns the whole situation. I mean, you, this movie's great because it can go from really funny, really quirky out there to very serious and dark. And then it goes to this moment where it's it's serious. It's teaching a lesson. There's a moral. I like it. It's good. Yeah, yeah. So Mufasa's just great. Just great. Um, and then, uh, you know, because nobody messes with your dad. Oh, <laughs> and then they I, play. What's- no, yeah. <laughs> I loved how quick it went from being very just in the moment, very sol- not solemn, but just like you were saying, almost spiritual to being just a fun daddy son moment where they're just playing around and they're back and, you know, back and forth to we're friends again. 
It was just so touching, so nice. Yeah, I think we can all kind of take a, a parenting lesson or two from Mufasa here. Who would have thought? But anyway, yeah, so it's it's so cool. And again, the, the night theme, you know, that kind of connects major events, turnarounds in Simba's life, which is interesting. And under the same moon, Scar is plotting his his strike on Mufasa and Simba. What are we supposed to do? Kill Mufasa? <laughs> I love it. I love that line. Precisely. Sorry, folks. I can't do a good Scar voice. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, the, the, the beats in that one were so great. See, that's what made this the song so good, like you were saying, is that they stuck to form with the tribal beats and the African influences throughout. You know, not to pick on Frozen, but Frozen didn't really do that too well. It kind of went into more standard Broadway, modern, and didn't continue the tribal elements of the culture or whatever. And and that's what, what makes these songs so much different and fun and just good. Yeah, and this is a this is a amazing villain song. By the way, have you all ever heard the unofficial Disney villain song album? No. I think you can hear it on like Spotify or Pandora or whatever weird weird online thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's got some cool stuff. I mean, of course, it's got the staples, you know, Ursula. It's got Scar, um, but then it has this like weird cut song that Isma sings in um, Emperor's New Groove called I think it's called Stamp the Light Out. And it's 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 horrible. It totally does not even fit. And I'm so glad they didn't put it in the film. But yeah, that that is in there too. I don't know where they dig these things up. And it's totally out of place. But it's a it's a it's kind of a cool album, I guess. It's got oh, uh, you know yeah. oogie, oogie boogie and all that stuff. So right before this song, apparently there were intro lines that Scar had, but they were cut because the plot changed. And it was usually it was originally like a monologue of Scar, you know, trying to decide on using the hyenas for, to do his plot or not, um, you know, and they were cut because they wanted to show that the, the hyenas were used to entrap the cubs earlier. So it would have been kind of stupid because it's like, well, you already kind of use them. So why are you monologuing about using them again? <laughs> so, you got me monologuing. <laughs> uh, he probably, I mean, he, did he have time to heal him at a Pokemon center before <laughs> using them again? <laughs> But anyway, he's like one of those lame Pokemon trainers that, that you encounter in the game that just have, like, Two. four of the same Pokemon. Oh, yes. You know? The you magic know, take all, take my cle- Yeah, take my Clefairies. It's like, it's like you, all you do is catch Clefairies? <laughs> what a horrible life. Like, diversify. Diversify. <laughs> you can't have the same type. Our, our marketing major here. Hedge. We gotta hedge those bets. <laughs> That's funny. Um, it's a well choreographed song. Like it's cool to think that these two D like hand drawn scenes were all like choreographed. Um, I've been doing a lot of shot composition and layout and storyboard work in in my classes this semester, and it's it's not easy to communicate these kinds of shots. And so the the work that they did was just incredible. For one, I'm not sure how like the whole physics of Scar standing on a thing of rock and it just kind of rises up, you know, and all the hyenas <laughs> rise like. What is it with plate tectonics and villains, you know? Exactly. Very Rasputin. In the dark of the night, Scar will kill them. Anyway, but the last shot where he's up on the top and there's the moon behind him and they're all laughing maniacally. Maniacal laugh. Maniacal laugh. <laughs> and um, the shot is just perfectly composited because uh, in the foreground, midground, background, you all have elements that kind of envelop them into this kind of... It kind of frames them. And then everything's kind of well balanced. Like it's just, I wish I could have like a, a blown up HD still of that 
shot that I could have as a background. I don't know, computer background. I don't know. It's probably one of my favorite Dis- Disney villain songs, you know. Even the colors change into this eerie green, you know, which is a kind of an off-putting, edgy, evil kind of color. I mean, look at Rasputin. You know, we, as much as we knock Rasputin, you're pretty much giving him a lot of credit here. Well, Rasputin is a good study on the typical animated villain, you know. We knock his execution as a villain, like within the story of Anastasia. That's another story. He's terrible. Yeah. So during um, Be Prepared, it's actually pretty interesting because Jeremy Irons is this incredible Broadway voice, and he was singing, and that one part where where Scar says. You won't get a sniff without me. He, he blew out his voice voice cords and couldn't sing, couldn't finish the song. And so they brought in the ultra uber talented uh, Jim Cummings. Who Jim he, Cummings? Yes. Oh, there he is. <laughs> and, Under your thumb, Scar. You know, he's like... <laughs> and so Jim Cummings had to come in and sing the rest of this you know, song, which was the very last verse, I guess, or the ending. And you could tell there's a difference. I mean, most people would never know. But if you listen, suddenly you're like, suddenly once he comes in, you're like, oh, there he is. Yeah. As I was listening, I was like, ah, there's Jim. Hey, Jim. <laughs> I know. We're like totally into this guy. And you hear him everywhere once you once you start kind of studying, you know, his stuff and realizing how many roles he's played. He's awesome. I even heard him while I was playing Skyrim once, and I was like, gosh. Video games are the new animated cartoons. No kidding. It has uh, well, it has uh, Jim Cummings and the guy who plays um, Max Goof in it. Ah. James Jason Mark. something or other. James or Jason. Oh, yeah. This is always a confusing <laughs> thing. Dang it. The oh, hot yeah. one or the not hot one. <laughs> they're, both, they're both good looking. but The kid who plays Max Goof uh, <laughs> also voices in Skyrim. Anyway, that's just a little thing. All right. So, so the stampede. This is another epic scene where they go into the gorge, and this is, you know, Scar being a child predator, as Mason has pointed out, <laughs> and lures Simba down there um, to teach, you know, and Simba's practicing his pouncing on that weird iguana who's down there, or whatever that thing is, and and then says, oh, wait, I'll be right back, and, and lets him stay there, and then, boom, stampede. A sort of a father-son thing. Okay. <laughs> I just, I love how Scar is funny while being totally sinister. It's the trademark of a good Disney villain. I wonder if that's just Andreas Deja, but it's also scriptwriters, isn't it? You know? Yeah, it's collaboration. Everything in animation is collaboration. Oh, and you might want to work on that little roar of yours. Honestly, though, Hans Zimmer is the master of mood in this scene. Yeah, the scene is totally epic and. Uh, the way they pulled off these wildebeests was that they're, uh, you know, it's actually uh, cel-shaded uh, CG objects, uh, procedurally generated is what they call it, in the business. And uh, it's pretty amazing how they did it. And then the software was actually revamped uh, for doing the Hun's charge sequence in Mulan. I think it's just so cool that they were able to figure this out. I love that moment where Simba sees, sees the herd coming down on him. And it just, like, does this crazy zoom in on his face. And it's, like, this look of sheer terror. And then, like Chelsea said, Hans Zimmer just creates a moment of, like, of like total dread at that moment. And it really sets it up for a powerful scene. Look, Saya, the hood is on the move. Odd. Definitely from the moment that that, that that stampede starts, your blood is just pounding. Like, you are so afraid for Simba, for 
Mufasa. They, they still don't let your emotions take a rest because uh, you've got the betrayal and then you've got, of course, Mufasa's death. Uh, in the moment when you realize that she's like, Dad, you gotta get up. I cry every time. Oh, I know because he's so... It's so sad because Mufasa's so benevolent and just wants to do the right thing. And so everything about him is genuine. And then this horrible, horrible thing with his brother. I mean, I wonder if he saw it coming. I mean, he always kind of knew there was that interaction between them in the beginning. So he knew he was kind of a loser. Um, but, I, you know, you don't expect it to come to that. And so right there in that moment when when Scar digs his nails into, into Mufasa... You. And then just throws him off. I mean, I, you know what I really appreciate is that they didn't—they didn't hold back on these parts. Like, oh, that yeah. could be too scary. Oh, that you know, digging your claws into someone else—that's—that's that's not good. You know, that's violent. I mean, they pushed it, and I mean, I really want to know the conversations where they talk about should we kill the dad, or if yeah, that was even or a how discussion. Should we? Yeah, exactly. Because they had to know this is. Gonna going to kill people. Not literally, but eat them up inside. Feel bad. Well, at this point, they're, they're like, if you're going to do it, you got to go all the way. And something like that, you do have to just milk it for all it's worth. And between the voice acting, between the animation, and the score, it's just amazing. I don't... It, it takes true work and art and and just skill to be able to you know, bring so much emotion out of one scene. Yeah, and as if uh, Simba wasn't vulnerable enough, um, I think the part that gets me is where he doesn't know what to do. No one's coming to help him, so he doesn't... He's just totally helpless, and he's just kind of huddles under Mufasa's paw and is sobbing there. And right at his most vulnerable moment, who should come? Scar, who totally uh, sticks the knife in and twists it by laying the blame on Simba. You know, mm-hmm. using everything that Simba holds dear against him, you know, Simba just doesn't know what to do. And so, you know, Scar tells him, run away, you know, and then, of course, he sends his uh, his assassins after Simba. This scene really turns into kind of a refiner's fire kind of thing with the imagery of all the thorns and stuff. He runs away. And then I guess we kind of come into act two here, I guess. Honestly, I, I agree that this is just a huge part because how do you beat this guy? Well, the thing is, with Scar and Simba, Simba doesn't realize that he needs to beat him at this point. Right. It's not about, like, oh, I can, I can never beat Scar again. I mean, he's just too powerful, and look what he did. It is to him. This is all turned on Simba, and Simba really lets that get to him and believes him. Once again, how do you beat this guy? <laughs> you can't. <laughs> He is top villain. I mean, he takes every emotion and turns it against you. Just insane. Yeah, definitely a master manipulator. Excellent villain, mate. So then they go into sort of this dry, crusty desert, uh, which very quickly they they go from savannah to this just barren wasteland. And, you know, of course, there's always places that people don't want to go where people inhabit. So deserts are usually one of them. Gotta love AZ. Simba is passed out, vultures are considering him dead, and they walk up, and definitely provides a lot of comedic relief in this moment where the, the plot has gone really heavy. Jeez, he's a lion! Gee, he looks blue. I'd say goldish brown. 
Timon and Puma are amazing, um, like, cute sidekicks without being annoying. You know what I mean? Totally. And they don't even play them off as annoying. They're just this amazing comedic duo. I think the voice actors who do Timon and Pumbaa, they originally tried out for the hyenas. And the directors laughed at thought they were so funny that they cast them later as uh, Timon and Pumbaa, even though they didn't make the cut as the hyenas. And I'm glad it stayed that way. Yeah, that's it's just the perfect... It's just the perfect uh, big guy, little guy, smart guy, dumb guy. You know, um, the, uh, Lenny and um, Lenny and whoever on of Mice and Men. You know, C three PO and R two D two. There's so many of these classic duos. We never and then, change. Uh, and exactly. And then Hakuna Matata is, is such a fun song. You know, why when he was a young warthog? When, when I oh. was a young warthog. Very nice. Right. Thanks. <laughs> he found you his aroma at a certain appeal, of... dude. <laughs> he could clean the savannah after every meal. <laughs> I'm a sensitive soul. Though I seem, Though I seem thick-skinned. Duh. And it hurt. My friends <laughs> never stood down with. And oh, the shame. He was ashamed. Had a change in my name. Oh, what's in a name? And I got downhearted. How does it feel? Every time that I... Puma! Not in front of the kids. Breaking uh, the fourth wall. I love wall. it when... <laughs> oh, is, yes. it, is it fourth wall? I never know which wall they're, they're breaking in that, in that, that expression. Fourth. Because technically there could be five if you're in a pentagon type... Anyway. Could be um, six if you're considering if you're in a box. Amateur. Calm down before you hurt yourself. This is a great way to pass from young Simba to old Simba, um, but also to kind of establish Simba's new state of mind when he's grown up. Wouldn't you agree? As I'm watching this, all I can think of is just like, man, by a show of hands, how many people wish that they could have passed through that quote-unquote awkward stage as fast as Simba did? (laughs) I know. Within a five-second montage, he's done with it. Like, ah, that lasted years. (laughs) I thought Lion King 1.5 should have been about Simba's awkward stage, you know? That's what I was hoping for, but no, no, no. They're just going to throw in whatever they want. That would have been awesome. <laughs> I know. Then, like, someone like Zac Efron could have done his voice, you know? <laughs> could have totally turned his career around. I'm sure that was before Zac Efron's time. <laughs> who, was the big, who was the big teen heartthrob back then? Aaron Carter, maybe? Ah, uh, could have been, yeah. <laughs> Can't believe I know who Aaron Carter is. I love these these kind of parallels, you know, Simba's life. But at the same time, the film also reminds you of what's going on back home because Simba doesn't know that Scar is evil. You know, he always considered him his weird uncle. You have no idea. And so uh, everything's miserable back at Pride Rock. Uh, you got to hand it to Scar. He caused starvation throughout the kingdom and a massive drought. You know, he really is a cruddy ruler. Yeah, I don't know how you can blame him for that, necessarily, but <laughs> they seem to think that there is a correlation. There is definitely, and statistically speaking, there may, be not, may not be a cause, but there is a correlation. I you can't that... argue that with the facts that the drought did occur while Scar was ruler. <laughs> there was a t- 2% employment <laughs> drop among lionesses during his presidency. Here's the thing. <laughs> If this if Mufasa was still alive, let's say Scar waited a year to do this. Okay. I, I don't know if Mufasa would still be held in such high regard because, let's be honest, the drought would come either way. There would be no food, and everyone would be looking at you-know-who, Mufasa. 
And maybe if know, Scar could have waited, way to, people would have said, you know, then Scar could have campaigned a little bit, and maybe they would have started following him. Maybe this could have ended I, with no bloodshed. I know. <laughs> Scar's first term would have been so much better had he, had he waited out, you know, stayed in the Lion's Senate while he could. I don't know. We could, you know, we could point fingers all day. But uh, um, the the fact of the matter is this: I, it's it's all about symbolism, okay? The symbolism of the movie that everything's miserable, so there is no green left. Maybe everyone overgrazed. Well, I mean, the herds move on, but isn't that a normal thing? So wouldn't they follow them? I think it's just because he's so lazy that he didn't want to move on with them. He's like, I'm king of Pride Walk. If I leave, someone's gonna take my throne. Well, that's true. There is no established fact that statement that Pride Rock is the permanent resting ground for the lions. Maybe there's Pride Rock and maybe 50 miles down, there's Proud Rock, you know? <laughs> Mama Proud. Hosted by the Proud family. Oh, no. <laughs> They're the distant cousins that they, nobody a, talks about. That's a, uh, he doesn't talk about me much. Um <laughs> That's another discussion right there, the Proud family. That's for another time, I suppose. <laughs> but anyway, um, even the hyenas are doubting Scar, you know? But uh, but we're still hungry. Ouch! <laughs> <laughs> oh, eat Sazu. <laughs> oh, you don't want to eat me. I'd be all tough and gaby. Oh, nonsense. All you need is a little garnish. <laughs> That's the first time I realized Scar said that. <laughs> It's the lioness's job to do the hunting. So then we go yeah. back and we go and we, to... Sorry, one more, one more. We, and we ain't got no stinking entrees. <laughs> I didn't notice some of those quotes when I was younger. <laughs> no, neither did I. But they're awesome. <laughs> so as we go back to Simba's world, he and, and our you know fantastic duo are stargazing. And during this whole time, I'm just like, I'm like, Simba, don't give up your faith. Just because nobody believes you, you hold true to your family. It's true. Well, it's interesting that kind of his most, like the high points spiritually, I guess you'd say, or his his growth personally come in these moments at night or dusk, you know, in a big open field where he can ponder, he can think about things. And so with the help of Rafiki, because uh, Simba, he lays in that those leaves and then it, it spells... SFX, okay? That's SFX. Right, that's right, folks. It's the special effects department paying homage to themselves, okay? It's not naughty, like, say it is. Oh, I thought it, I thought it was some naughty foreshadowing, Morgan. Nope. No. So anyways, that breeze heads over to Rafiki. He grabs the leaves, he smells it, and then he, oh, Simba. And so he... he you Rafiki laugh again? <laughs> Cannot be repeated. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, I love. I, I, this is another motif that I love is the, um, you know, his little painting, his cape painting on the tree, of Simba, and he he draws the little Simba, and then he wipes him away with his hands, and then he realizes he's alive, and he, oh, <laughs> Simba, and he takes his finger and he draws the mane on him, and it's great. So then Rafiki appears and. Whips well, before Rafiki appears, uh, Nala appears. Oh, yeah. She she's she's going to eat me! <laughs> I love this little dynamic between Pumbaa and Nala. First of all, it, at first it's, she's going to eat me! And then once they establish that they have a mutual friend in Simba, they're like just fine with each other. 
you know, pleased to make your acquaintance. Oh, pleasure's all mine. I just tried to eat you, you know? Yeah. I love how uh, they they bring in that mechanic, you know, once they bring the woman into the picture, you know, Timon, it starts, you think you know a guy. <laughs> My question is, why is it Nala considered a, a Disney princess? I don't know why Nala isn't considered a Disney princess. I think she's a great role model. She's independent. You know, she has a sense of what's right and what's wrong. Here's the uh, thing, Mason. It's because little girls can't dress up as her. Therefore, you are not a Disney princess. They can't. They can't have... <laughs> merchandising, merchandising. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. But still, I can see what's happening. They get, uh, can you feel the love tonight? I like it. I think it's a cute, cute song. I you hope know, so. so. That thing sold millions. <laughs> <laughs> so many things to tell her. The truth about my past. Impossible. She turned away from me. Matthew Broderick voice Nice there. Matthew Broderick voice. That was awesome. <laughs> I love Matthew Broderick. I don't like... The only thing I don't like about this film, and I don't even don't like it, I just semi-don't like it, is Matthew Broderick as the choice for Simba's uh, adult voice. I think we've talked about this before, but we I did. had no idea that it was him until like, <laughs> in high school. <laughs> yeah, no. And it was from that moment on, I was like, oh, Matthew Broderick. I don't know. It's just kind of... Uh, maybe it was, it was when he was still, like, too young... Now, now when I watch, I half expect him to be like, I always thought there were big balls of gas, you know, and then, and then, uh, Simba's just like, uh, you know, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, <laughs> you could miss it. <laughs> Pardon my French, but, uh, Timon is so tight that if he stuck a lump of coal up, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> what the? <laughs> Sorry, I'm just reading Ferris Bueller's Day off quotes as oh, if I was Simba. Nice, oh, nice. Man. <laughs> but anyway, um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, it's just because I can do a pretty good Matthew Project impression, yeah, apparently. Yeah, please do more qu- adult Simba quotes, please. Uh, yeah, pretty pretty dumb, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope you're doing this on your epic 100 animated voices video. I just added, I just added a new one, a bonus one. <laughs> Sweet. 101. First of all, I'm going to take your stick. <laughs> now, he, now he just sounds like a... Now he just sounds like some some creepy Miyazaki character. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yes, change is good. Yeah, and so he kind of has a, like a little argument. Oh, their first fight with Nala, you know, where Nala's like, you have to rise up, you have to be king. You're Simba! My gosh! Pull yourself together! So how long do you think he's been little, gone? One or two Edna years? mode there. I don't know how uh, how long the maturity period is for a male lion. I feel like it's just a few years. I mean, it's not even... It was more like five minutes, but... But yeah, I guess it's been a few... I guess it's been a few <laughs> right? years. Maybe, ooh, maybe it's that that magic uh, seven years, you know, like um, Ocarina of Time, you know? Nice. Hey, that's Hero with a Thousand Faces right there. This will be another discussion, but it's going to happen. Talk, we got to talk Zelda sometime. Oh my gosh. Special bonus Zelda episode. It's coming at Woo-hoo! you guys. Mason Morgan da, special. Da, da, da. Thank you for leaving me out of it. Sorry. Well, my... when, we do the, when we do the Kingdom Hearts episode, we'll, we'll talk to you, Chelsea. I don't even do Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> oh man, I'm sorry. <laughs> I have no input to go into any of this stuff. <laughs> you guys want to oh. hear my current ringer? Sure. 
Okay, I will play it for you. Can you hear that? Oh, yeah! Zelda rap. Dude, first there was Zelda rock, now there's Zelda rap. <laughs> oh, Majora's Mask. Okay. Uh, anyways, uh, back to the line. Have you, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. and then enter... Sarabi! Enter... <laughs> Sarabi! I love his uh, his slovenly voice. Where is your hunting party? <laughs> it's very pre-Jack Sparrow. So Rafiki shows up. Does Simba not remember Rafiki? I don't know how how a part of their life Rafiki is. Like, I don't know if he just appears for big occasions. Like Maybe cool. Rafiki did, like, a really embarrassing toast at the baby shower. <laughs> And, uh, and he wasn't. He's he was allowed at Pride Rock as master of ceremonies, but after that, like he's got to go off and do his own thing. Oh, that would be an awesome sequel! Is Rafiki turning into a villain, Maleficent Whoa. style? Ooh, wait, Maleficent style? Yeah, he's not invited to the party. Is that what we just said? Oh, that's right. No, he was invited to the party, but he got uninvited. It's uh, it, it could be possible with someone like Rafiki, you know. And uh, then we launch into one of the most iconic Disney animated sequences ever, which is where uh, Simba is reunited with the spirit of his father, and it's very touching. Remember who you are. You are. You are my son. The one true king. And then Aslan is like, well, actually... Get out out of here, Aslan! (laughs) This is Disney. Oh, I yeah, love um, that scene. That's another one of the serious, solemn moments that, that presents the moral or presents a high point that the, the main character has to listen to and follow. And it's very, like, spiritual in, in what happens in, in him seeing his father or, you know, you know, the cloud version of his father. But it really whips him, like, throws a bucket of water on him and puts him back into <laughs> the right state of mind where he's like, oh, my gosh, wake up. Like, this is... He's right. It's I, like he's, it's like he's this, you know, you know, some teenagers when they get out of school, they're just like bums. And then finally there's a point in their life where they're like, you know, mid twenties or something they're like, I gotta do something with my life. And that's what, this is him. He's like, I'm not just some college loser bum dropout who abandoned my family. I gotta go back. Who's been eating nothing but grub for grubs for seven <laughs> years. Still looks better than Scar. Nala's probably like, hey, I'm really glad to see you, but your breath stinks. <laughs> what have you been eating? <laughs> but anyway, I think I think all of us need a Mufasa moment, a remember who you are moment. What great lines, what powerful lines. He says you are says you are more than what you have become. It's a big diss. You must take your place in the great circle of life. This is Simba's calling. And I think sooner or later we all have to kind of make that decision if we're going to, uh, you know, take our own place in the circle of life. And so I uh, I really like this scene. I almost get choked up when when Simba sees Mufasa's reflection, even though the effect is kind of cheesy <laughs> with the water waving and stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I get so choked up when I see him in his reflection and then the, you hear this low rumbling, you know, and then you see and then the heavens open up and it's Mufasa, you know. It's amazing. And, that's uh, good effects there. That's, that's, that's old school like the old school. Yeah, I love it. And then, uh, you know... I'm going back. Simba is gone to challenge his uncle Scar so he can be king. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I love the scene where Simba is running through the Sahara Desert. I guess that's what it is. Um, coming back, making his epic journey back to Pride Rock. I know it's such cool music. Uh, yeah. See, this isn't one of those scores where even just the score in itself is very memorable and iconic. Where it has yeah. its own themes for different parts. Hans man. Yeah. This was his epic. I don't think I've ever heard any other movie or anything that he's done or that many other people have done, period. I mean, not talking about pirates. Pirates was awesome. <laughs> he, did, okay. he did pirates. I know, that's what I'm saying. Like that that was one of his others amazing. But this <laughs> one, did... it's just I don't know. I remember every part of it and it's just a mental image in my mind at all moments. This is one of the ones where you want to listen to the score just as much as you listen to the songs. Yes. Or maybe slightly that's true. slightly less. You know, um, I love the setup for the final battle. Like it's not like Simba's alone, you know? And it's not like he has to, like, prove himself to his friends because there wasn't, like, a you lied to me moment, you know, that was so typical of animated films back then, I guess, and still are. And so I just kind of like this whole kind of calm before the storm where Nala shows up and then Pumbaa and Timon are like, well, this place is kind of a dump, but if it's important to you, we will fight for you, you know? Mm-hmm. And it really sets up for a final battle complete with the impending thunderstorm, which is a dead giveaway that someone is about to die. I sound like Mr. Pricklepants <laughs> analyzing all these film elements. But everyone has their own role to play in the final battle as, uh, you know, uh, so what's your plan to, uh, for getting past those guys? Live bait. Oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you want me to dress and drag and do the hula? Yo! Ah, you aching. Yep, oh. yep, yep. Or some bacon. Yep, yep, yep. He's a big pig. Yep, you can yep, be a yep. big pig too. Oi! I mean, we talk about fantastic villain songs, but honestly, this is the best sidekick song out there. There's no <laughs> other sidekick song that can compete with this Dress and Dragon do the hula. Have you ever heard the song in a, in a different language? No, but I really want to at the moment now. Wow! I heard it. I heard it once in Argentina. Someone had a CD of Disney songs, and they had the Spanish version of all, almost all the Disney songs. I don't know how they compiled it or what, but they had this song in Spanish. It was just ridiculous. That or as I say awesome. in Argentina, ridículo. Or as I say in Hogwarts, ridiculous. But anyway, I like it. Every I like how everyone thinks it's Mufasa, for one. The symbolism there. Mm-hmm. You hearing me? Yes. You understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. So even Scar, you know, he's he's taken aback, and then he sees Simba. I'm surprised to see you alive. <laughs> you know, and then um, Simba doesn't know the truth about Mufasa's death, but he knows that that Scar has ruined things by causing a massive drought and starvation. Scar is even trying to manipulate Simba here with bringing back to mind the blame that Simba was responsible for Mufasa's death. And the sad thing is that Simba still believes it, but the good thing is he's he's taken responsibility for it, you know? Yes. You know, he's like, oh, Simba, you're in trouble again, and this time. And then Scar, you know, he lets his guard down, and he lets Simba know, I killed Mufasa. You know, and the horrible flashback. I like how how did Simba leap back up? Um... <laughs> Off of that cliff, man. That that's was some serious upper body strength. Serious, man. 
<laughs> I mean, he's sitting there, he's just struggling away at it. And then all of a sudden I have motivation. I mean, my life was nothing, but now you're a liar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Murderer. You know, so they can hear you. <laughs> and then it, the battle starts, you know. It's not a good final battle unless you're surrounded in a pillar of fire. Oh. <laughs> no kidding. So good. And then the slow-mo action, what? That yeah. stopped it's not, me. Not only slow-mo, but every time someone lands a hit, it's like this epic, like... <laughs> it's, it's like true. an echo, like, type of animation where it's boom, 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 boom. <laughs> yeah, right. I love it. I think the fight's really cool. You know, it definitely shows off, like, the savage, you know, the brutality of the fight. And then poor Scar, he falls for the oldest trick in the book. You never go for the big aerial attack, you know? Uh-huh. Speaking of Zelda, has Zelda not taught Scar anything? <laughs> but there's always a button you can press right at the last minute, you know? Here comes Ganondorf with his fireball attack. Then he just with your sword, bounces back at him, you know? You know, Zelda and, and the Lion King are more similar than you'd think. I would almost think that Ganondorf was Link's uncle. <laughs> but anyway. Again, for another podcast. Your mother was a Gerudo and your father smelt of elderberry. <laughs> but anyway, um, it never works in films. You know, ah, I'm going to get you, you know, slow motion, big aerial hit. Well, bam, counter. Yep. Exactly I like how, how it happened. I like how Scar tries to turn the tables on the hyenas and then that comes back to bite him in the butt. Literally with his untimely demise. My friend. My friend. You sound like Radigan there. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> <Left> again. <laughs> That's what friends. <laughs> I can't. I, that's an impossibly low note. <laughs> it is an impossibly low note, and every time I hear it, I'm like, "Holy crap!" <laughs> you know what would have been great for that scene is to have the vulture, the buzzards, or the vultures from Jungle Book. <laughs> <laughs> Watching Scar getting torn apart, and like, hey, it's what we're going to do. <laughs> and the vultures from Snow White. Let's just bring in all our former vulture friends. <laughs> <laughs> and the vultures with the with the stretcher during the soccer game on the head. You just see him walk off in the side, like, oh, 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 with the stretcher. And Nutsy. <laughs> Oh, and the other one. What's the other one? Crime and then Lee. Now I know why your parents called you Nutsy. Maybe they'll even be double hanging. Trigger and Nutsy. Cramonently. Oh, this would have been an awesome reunion. It would have been a vulture reunion. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope our listeners think this is as funny as we think. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so Scar is gone. You know, and then it come, in comes the, the cleansing fire and the cleansing rain. And there's that awesome dramatic shot. You know, Rafiki is like, get up there, boy. You know, it's, <laughs> get up, get up there, Bobby. Um, and Simba is like, you know, and then he sees the symbol of the skull washing away through the gulch, you know, and it's all very, very spiritual. And then just the, the, that big full on Aslan roar, you know, and everyone joins in, you know. And he asserts, asserts himself as the rightful king, you know. I know. I know. New beginnings in 10 seconds. 
Well, yeah. I, I, I mean, if Scar could have waited again another ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> This guy is the king of bad timing. How did the fire even get there? Was there a lightning strike? Yeah, there was a lightning strike and it hit like this dead tree. Oh. Cool. This is when King Louis should have should have taken his chance, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he wants that man's man's red fire. Well apparently the fire scares Shere Khan out of his wits, but the lions are just like, meh. Which is why Shere Khan is nowhere near <laughs> no tigers in this, this part of the, yeah. the movie. Cool. I like um, I like how it all wraps up as it completes the circle of life. And there's a new baby. Oh, it's a girl. It's a girl. It's a girl. A girl. <laughs> That's like the one moment I remember seeing this in theaters back in 1994 is that very end scene and just seeing that like, oh, there's a new baby in me going, oh, so cute. And yeah, then it ending. That's the only part of this movie I remember actually being in the theater saying. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I remember the whole thing in the theater. Where were you? <laughs> no, I mean, I just, I also remember seeing it at least one time in the dollar theaters. I was just thinking, there has to be a sequel. There has to be. And that just opens it right up. There's going to be a sequel. There has to be a sequel. You know, this <laughs> point when, when it was like, you actually wanted the sequels because they hadn't ruined the idea of having a sequel by having a million sequels that should never have been made. And at this point, we still thought Return of Jafar was kind of good. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's true. <laughs> well, what do y'all think of the sequels? I have not seen Lion King one and a half, and I've only seen Lion King two once. But I need to see it again because I think that one's actually pretty good from what I remember. Um, yeah, Simba's Pride was okay. I don't know. I thought they kind of lost the awesomeness of the first film with the sequel. Although you you do get some cool stuff with like the outcast lions who were like you know uh, supporters of Scar, I suppose, or Scar's family. I don't know. And I like the whole West Side Story kind of thing with Nala and Kovu. Lion King one point five. Oh, sorry. Uh, whatever her name is, Kiara. Wait, Keanu. That 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 the, lion. The baby girl. one. The baby one. <laughs> and then, um, Lion King one point five is a shameless mockery of the first film, and I I didn't like it that much. It it try it goes into Timon and Pumbaa, kind of their origin stories mm -hmm. and how they became outcasts. Then it's like they're watching the show, you know, what is it, the Mystery Science Theater three thousand version. Yeah, I, I didn't like 1.5 that much, um, and then um, number and then two was okay. I mean, I, I liked it as much as any other Disney sequel, so not a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> a few miscellaneous notes here on the film. I always love reading the controversy section of any <laughs> given film's Wikipedia page. You know what I mean, folks. You, you know what I'm talking about. Um, apparently, so I okay. I understand that there was the infamous. Uh, Spelling out, people thought it spelled out sex uh, instead S of SFX. SFX. Yeah, I'm, I know, I'm yawning. It's such a contrived, overused argument. I didn't know about this. There were apparently scene similarities with this anime called Kimba, the White Lion. And if you look at some of the shot-to-shot -shot comparisons, it is pretty similar. Uh, apparently, the anime studio that produced Kim, uh, Kimba the White Lion were afraid of suing Disney over the rights because they were such a small company, and Disney was this animation giant. I feel so bad. You should never feel you should never feel afraid to sue someone. 
but any, anyway, um, I don't know if thing. I don't know what would have happened, but I believe in homage <laughs> to other films, not copying other films, and that could have easily been used as an argument. You know, Matthew Broderick was a fan of Kimba the Lion, and apparently he thought that the movie was an adaptation of Kimba the White Lion. Ooh. So anyway, and then this one's the best one. Apparently, there were hyena biologists who boycotted the film oh, because on. of how they portrayed the hyenas as as dirty, slimy, manging whatever, poachers. yeah, manging poachers. <laughs> and then there was this other argument that the hyenas represented anti-immigration, and that it just so happened that the only African American, the only Hispanic guy, were these unwanted hyena characters. No, and, young Nala. And then I'm like, young Nala. Uh, sure. Young Nala, James Earl Jones. Yeah, that's true, right? <laughs> 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 But anyway, I, I don't buy the anti-immigration thing for a second, but I, I thought it was just funny that hyena biologists were like, you're hurting the hyena's fa- feelings, you know? They're going <laughs> to boycott it, you know? I just wouldn't I was on the brink of destroying Disney animation. I'm surprised they didn't try to TP Walt Disney Animation Studios. Um, I'm sorry. If you're a biologist and you and you sympathize with these hyena activists, I just think it's kind of silly. Because it is. There's got to be a villain, and so there has to be an animal that's a villain. So they chose a hyena. Hyenas are scavengers. You know, hyenas have that creepy laugh. Hyenas are <laughs> dirty. You couldn't make this film the hyena king because the hyenas couldn't take any of the lines seriously, you know? Mufasa, the hyena, has been like, uh, when we die, our... <laughs> when we... <laughs> sorry, sorry, son. It's just funny that our bodies become the crest. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Cut. Hyenas, stop laughing. Uncle Waldo? Uncle Waldo. Stuffed with chestnuts. White wine. But anyway, that's my spiel on the controversial film that is The Lion King. So before we close up, can we talk about merchandise real quick? Yes. So boy, oh boy, did I have merchandise for this film. Uh, Specifically, I mean, I can't even remember everything that I had, but there was this Lion King board game. It was sort of like life where you had to progress through the events of the movie. In the very end, there were these three little... Uh, pieces of cardboard. Yeah, you put them on this little pedestal thing and, and balance them together or whatever. And then you had this little catapult contraction that you had to shoot a boulder at the three. And Scar was on the other side of on one of those three. So if you, you know, guessed right and it was the Scar one, then you win and it was really awesome. Oh, man. <laughs> really dorky. And I really wish I still had that game. But I, I wish don't. you did too, man. Yeah, the catapult at the end was just awesome. Um, and then, hello, kissing Nala and Simba, anyone? A sweetheart come! Yes! Oh you had those? I did not, but you just, you posted the video for it, and I was like, oh my gosh, I remember those! Yeah, my friends, the Carpenters, the Carpenters had, like, everything, Barbies and toys, so they had those, and I just remember, like, loving to make them kiss, because they were so cute, but I never had them, but yeah, they had the nip, the Nala and Simba. So cute. Um, They also had these other ones. I'm going to post a video in the comments. It's like this commercial for like this hodgepodge of various Lion King toys. And one was called the Jungle Babies. And they were just these little baby versions of the animals, like a baby cheetah, baby Nala. Yeah. (laughs) And it was like a little jungle gym. And it was just weird. And of course, the Carpenters had those because they had everything. And then the McDonald's toys. I think everyone had the McDonald's toys. Am I right? You're right. Their legs moved around. I tried looking for a commercial for those. Um, I couldn't find them, but there's like a few that you can look up pictures. But yeah, the, those were pretty bomb. And then last but not least, my favorite childhood game was the Lion King SNES video game. 
which I could never beat. First off, it was really hard, like, especially when you were in the jungle. You had to climb up these waterfalls. There were, like, leaves that would fall down the waterfall, and you had to hop on them before they fell. So you're always hopping from leaf to leaf to leaf to leaf. It was really hard. And then you got to this, finally you became adult Simba, and you're kind of in this wasteland after going back, and you were this close to beating Scar. But I swear my game had a glitch, because you're supposed to be able to jump from this one level to the other. It's just not possible completely not possible Uh and i still believe my game had a glitch because we never got to beat that game and to get to that point in the game there's like no saves so it's like if after you lose your three lives you have to start all the way at the very beginning it's just yeah it's so sad anyways yes about childhood merchandise so if any of you listeners had some of this lion king merchandise please send us a voicemail at the rotoscopers.com at rotoscopers.com slash voicemail because we want to hear all of your amazing stories of, of your childhood with these toys. I, I like that voicemail idea. Let's hear it. Here's my rating, folks. Drum roll, please. I give The Lion King uh, five stars, uh, giving it a perfect score on the podcast. I don't know how many times I've done that. Um, this film... I think is the greatest uh, Disney animated film. And it is definitely my favorite Disney animated film. I think it's got everything. It's got the solid story, unforgettable characters and songs and flawless, amazing animation. It's just so beautiful and, and so perfect. Seeing it on the big screen again in, in 3d a couple of years ago was a real treat, real treat. So in conclusion, I give it five stars because I really think this is as close as you can get to the perfect animated film or Disney animated film. I will also give it five stars because I just, there's really nothing that I would say. I mean, there's no real plot holes. There's no real like thoughts of like what happened here or whatever. I mean, they, they sum it up great, but also, I mean, you got music, you got Zimmer, you got, I could just go on and on, but I'm just going to say five stars. I'm going to echo both of your sentiment. Five stars. This movie is... Holy cow, a triple five-star rating. A triple five-star. I mean, what more can be said about The Lion King other than it's near perfect and it's awesome? And I watched this movie so many times as a youngster on VHS that my dad threatened to throw it away for good. And so it really scared me. So I didn't watch it for a really long time because I didn't want him to throw it away. (laughs) Five stars. Awesome. It means no worries for the your days it's our problem free philosophy So speaking of voicemail, we received two voicemails talking about The Lion King. The first one was from the Twitter handle Kronk. So I asked Kronk what his favorite sidekicks were, and this is what he said. Grunt, grunt, snort, or grunt, snort, grunt, snort, snort, grunt, snort. That's Warhog for the sidekicks in this movie were pretty funny. I'm just glad it wasn't in Smell-O-Vision. Can I go home now? Yes, Kronk, you can go home now. This next one is from Jessica over from Animation Fascination. 
Hey there, Rotoscopers. This is Jessica Worski again. Uh, I had to jump in for The Lion King. I've requested it and been waiting for it, and I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about definitely my all-time favorite animated film. Uh, this came out at just a real pivotal point in my life. It's the movie that made me want to be an animator, and I had the movie memorized for a while. In fact, I wrote the screenplay out, too, the best I could remember it with my cousin. It was really awesome. I don't even know what my favorite part of this movie is, honestly. It's just the colors and the humor and the music and the feeling. It was the first IMAX movie I ever saw, so it made me cry. And uh, I just absolutely loved The Lion King. I'm really glad you guys are doing it. Like I said, I can't wait to hear what you say. Uh, Hakuna Matata. All right, so we did ask a listener Twitter question today. We said, what is your favorite scene slash quote in The Lion King? And Chris Cookson says, be prepared. All of it. Such a catchy, fun, yet ominous villain song. With some really cool Russian construction constructivist-style visuals. He also says, I love wherever Disney has a lot of fun with their villains. The best villains are the ones you almost want to hang out with. Janice Marie says, my favorite scene is when Simba meets Nala years later. Chris again says, for his favorite quote, he says, I can see what's happening. What? And they don't have a clue. They'll fall in love. And here's the bottom line. Our trio's down to two. Oh. <laughs> he says, those lines from Timon and Kumba basically sums up the deep-seated fear that every well-knit group of guy friends has. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Pixar Time says you may as well highlight almost every scene in that movie. It's that good. Thanks, Pixar Times. Okay, and Jessica Worski says my favorite part is the end when adult Simba roars at Pride Rock. Chills thinking about it. Shayla says Jim Cummings, just him alone, is my favorite from Lion King. Milan Harrison says Baba. <laughs> What's funny is we have a couple of these and everyone is spelled differently. It's fantastic. For example, in our next one, David King says, <laughs> Not sure how you pronounce it. LOL. I used to sing along with it sometimes. Love the opening scene. Janice Marie says, My favorite scene is when Simba meets Nala years later. Jordan M says, Lady, have you got your lions crossed? Dylan Manti says, My favorite scene is the start when Mufasa is like, Everything the light touches is the kingdom. Kimberly Hayner says, my number one quote, you think you can just show up here and tell me how to live my life? You don't even know what I've been through. Anne M. Daly says, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts, dilly dee. And let me out, let me out, let me in, let me in. Chelsea Hastings says, my favorite scene is definitely Scar singing, be prepared. Michael Blue Jay says, where do I begin? Favorite scene is the circle of life scene and the stampede scene, as upsetting as it is. He continues and says, My favorite quote comes from anything by the hyenas and most dialogue between Timon and Pumbaa. Castle's Capes clone says, I'm a sucker for the emotional stuff. It may not be my favorite scene, but the most powerful is when Mufasa dies. Simba's reaction is so visceral, you can really feel his pain. Amanda Williams says, Be prepared is the one of the best Disney songs for one of the greatest Disney villains. Al the blogger says, He'd make a very handsome throw rug. Amanda Williams, Zazu, I told the elephants to forget it, but they can't. Elijah Harry, long live the king. All right, this letter is from Suzanne, and she says, I read on Twitter that you guys are recording the Lion King episode right now, and I just wanted to share my thoughts on the amazing movie. 
It is possibly my favorite Disney movie classic. Even though it's like having to choose your favorite child, I think it has to share with The Little Mermaid, Mulan, Jungle Book, and The Beauty and the Beast, Lilo and Stitch, Tangled, and, oh, I could go on forever. Well, let's just say that it's definitely one of Disney's greatest. I fell deeply in love with it again when I watched it in cinema when it was re-released in 3D. I must have watched The Lion King hundreds of times, and I literally know every single line from it, in German and English, and I even know some lyrics in French. My love for this movie even made me famous among my school friends because I cried several times during the musical that we watched during our student exchange in London. Anyone who has a chance to see the musical, go for it. It's fantastic. On Twitter, you asked about your favorite moments and quotes of the movie. I love the opening of the movie. It is so beautiful and practically perfect and practically perfect in every way. If I had to choose one scene, that would be it. But I also love Simba and Mufasa's dialogue on Pride Rock. Everything involving the hyenas, scars, Simba, Simba, it's to die for, scene. Pumbaa chasing the bug, Simba walking up Pride Rock into the rain, and of course, every song. I'm also a big fan of Andreas Deja, the animator of Scar. I read a lot about his work on his fantastic blog, Deja View. He's obviously an artistic genius, but I also admire him because he is from Germany, like me, and still made it at Disney. I think it's so fascinating how he could both animate an evil lion like Scar and a little girl like Lilo from Lilo and Stitch. I could go on forever and talk about the fantastic soundtrack, the characters, and the deeper meanings of the film. Did you know that it was inspired by Hamlet? All in all, I just love The Lion King, and I can only give five out of five stars. Can't wait for your review, and thank you so much for all the work that you put into the rotoscopers. Best wishes, Suzanne. Thanks, Suzanne. That email was great. Hi, rotoscopers. I hear you're doing an episode on The Lion King, so here are my thoughts on it. My favorite song in the movie is Be Prepared. I want to hear Mason sing it soon because I think it will sound so cool. Also, this film, in my opinion, is the only Disney animated film with a good sequel. I love Lion King one and a half. Also, when I rewatched this movie on VHS and one of the ads before the movie was so cheesy. It was a young girl who caught a firefly, I think thinking it was Tinkerbell. So she wanted to keep her and her parents told her that if she let her go, then she can see her in the Disney parks. The funny thing was, I don't think Tinkerbell was at the parks yet. Anyways, see you soon. Joshua K. And our next email is from Frank. He says, The Lion King is one of the first Disney movies I remember watching constantly when I was little. I feel you, Frank. I could not get enough of it. I remember annoying my sister so much because I wouldn't stop singing Hakuna Matata. I still love The Lion King to this day. Hands down, it has the best opening ever to an animated movie with the circle of life. Simba is such a great character, and you care about his journey to becoming king. Scar is a fantastic villain with a great song to boot. Timon and Pumbaa are two of my favorite sidekick characters in all of Disney. The movie balances the right amount of drama and humor as well. You have the fun moments like most of the Timon and Pumbaa scenes and the serious moments like the stampede scene. I have to say the music score is one of Hans Zimmer's best. The only thing I don't like about the movie is the forced romance between Nala and Simba. I know they were childhood friends, but I never really bought them falling in love. Can You Feel the Love Tonight is the only song in the movie that I don't care for. Every time I see that scene, all I want to say is, no, I can't feel the love tonight. Forced romance is a cliche that I can't stand in animated movies. Movies where the romance isn't needed but is forced just because there is simply a male and female character. If you're not going to develop the romance, why throw it in? I wish I would have gotten to see it in theaters with a 3D release. Not for the 3D, but just to experience it again on the big screen. It's been about 20 years, and The Lion King is still one of Disney's best. Frank. Thank you, Frank. I completely agree with 
nearly everything you said. I got to see The Lion King re-released in 3D, and I think I talked about it in one of our earlier episodes, but I just love the experience of seeing that movie of all the movies on the big screen again. It was really exciting and fun, so uh, they need to they need to do that again. All right, guys, that is our episode for the Animation Addicts podcast. This was actually one of our most requested episodes. People have been begging us to do The Lion King forever, and we are really glad that we got to because I think we had a really good discussion, and it was just fun to be back together like Shenzai, Bonsai, and Ed. I'll let you guys figure out who Ed is of the bunch. (laughs) Oh, point taken. (laughs) Anyways, you can follow us online. Just go to rotoscopers.com. That is our website where you can find all of us, where we have an amazing crew of news writers. Uh, Every day we have news stories about that keep you up to date with the animation news in the animation world. Um, You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Pinterest, and Instagram, all those good fun places. So we're rotoscopers on all those things. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes. That really helps us out when you subscribe and listen to us on iTunes. And if you do listen to us on iTunes, please, we would love it if you left us a review. It really is one way to support the show. And we haven't had any reviews for a while. So if you're one of those people and you don't have a review, just hop on your iPhone or your phone and just give us a little review. Honest, we don't want to have you say, give us a five star if you don't think that we're a five star. But... Give us what you think we deserve, and we really appreciate it. And, of course, you can also find us on Stitcher Radio. You can find us on our individual locations. I'm Morgan Stradling on Twitter. Chelsea is Chelsea Robson on Twitter. And Mason is Mason MSTX on Twitter. The next episode, episode 61, is going to be The Last Unicorn. Get those emails ready. We also have Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron. And, of course, our user-voted episode, Hercules! 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 This is what we call our horse phase. And it's going to be awesome. So get ready, everybody. So again, we're going to be doing The Last Unicorn next, followed by Spirit, Stallion, and Cimarron, and then Hercules. So if you have thoughts on any of those episodes, you want to give us your reviews, be sure to email us at therotoscopers at gmail.com or send us a voicemail at rotoscopers.com slash voicemail and of course you can call us on your phone and leave a voicemail at 406-646-6575 thanks for listening guys and until next time we are the rotoscopers i wonder how loud i can be in this in this recording studio because like the graduate students are right next door like there's only a wall separating me so i don't want them to come and be like you filthy mudblood <laughs> you know totally anyway and then i'll be like dobby is a free elf who you call an oopid stay anyway <laughs> i walk on the wild side i laugh at the face of danger <laughs> dude that was my hyena, Dem hyena. <laughs> yeah i got you i, gotcha. I, gotcha. <laughs> I did it too but i was on mute oh oh well, I wanted I wanted to talk about the procedurally generated will to be. Yeah, go for it. Go All right, just insert this later. Hold on, let me finish chewing, and then I got something to say. I'm just trying to get to Rafiki. You follow old Rafiki. He knows the way. Oh, Simba. <laughs> and so he he. Do you hear Rafiki time. laugh again? <laughs> <laughs>